Hello, my name is Dan Morgan, your host, and thank you for joining the Podcast Potables Network, home of both Process Potables and the Brew Coats. We are happy to be a part of the Underground Sports Philadelphia family. You can find all things Underground Sports Philadelphia on Twitter at UndergroundPHI. Please make sure to subscribe to the podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. You can find all things Process Potables at www.processpotables.com. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and untapped at Process Potables. Also, we would like to thank our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway. You can contact them for any real estate needs in New Jersey at 856-904-5636. And if you mention Process Potables, you can get exclusive savings. We will get you right in to the podcast right away. But first, our friends in the presence of wolves. Hey everybody, before you listen to this episode of Process Potables, I just wanted to give you a heads up. We had a little bit of audio difficulty with our guest, Hyde Albert, being at school and some issues with his computer. We did have to stop and restart halfway through, and I also lost him at the end. So if there's any issues with the audio or some of the timing and anything, I apologize in advance. But we did think that the overall content of the episode was pretty good, so I didn't want to scrap it. And it's way too late to try and do it again, so... Please, if you have any issues with it, I apologize. It's it's rare that we do these ones where we're not in the same room together. But Ty, obviously being at school and me living in Jersey, uh, that's just the way it worked out. So again, appreciate your patience. If you know it's something that bothers you that much, I, I truly do apologize. And just know that it shouldn't be a issue on the majority of our episodes. So. You know, if if it bothers you that much and you can't take it, I I understand. But I do think the content, and the conversation was very good, and hopefully the the edit job that I pull off here makes it bearable. So enjoy, thanks, and sorry if there's any issues. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Process Potables, episode fifty-one. Uh, this was originally going to be called Duds at the Deadline, but then the Furcon Corkmaz game happened, so. Let's start it over. Process Puddles episode 51. It's FERC on Friday, baby. Let's go. And who to have on the episode than my fellow FERC on Corkmaz guy? We are the guys. Ty, how are you feeling? I am feeling pretty good. 34 points, 7 of 9 from 3, you know, for a healthy 77, 3 point, 77 point. Seven eight three point percentage. It's not too shabby from our guy, oh, man. Straight sevens, baby jackpot. Exactly, exactly. Um, it's funny because right before this game started, I'm sitting at home. It's been a really long week at work, and I I actually tweeted out like I don't feel like watching this game. I don't have any interest in it. I just want to like be happy. It's been a really miserable week with the Sixers and and with other things, but as usual, I can't keep myself away from it. You know, one because I know we're going to do the episode tonight, but two, it's just like this team just just does these things to me. And you know, I wrote this whole rundown today for the episode talking about a loss against the Heat and a loss against the Bucks. And 
while those teams are obviously, you know, two of the top teams in the East and we're facing the Grizzlies who are, are fighting at the at the bottom of the Western playoff race. They they are potentially going to get in, but nowhere near the contender level of, of the Heat nor the Bucks. Especially for guys like us, you know, a game like this where Furkan Korkmaz, of all people, is the hero going for 34 and adding six rebounds of four assists is a plus 15 is so good for the brand that all my troubles, all my sorrows, everything just washes away. And, you know, that joy that I was looking to find elsewhere, I would not have found to the degree that I feel now having sucked it up, watched that game, and been treated to that kind of performance. Yeah, I, I kind of feel you there. I think that anyone who watches the Sixers, whether you're a fan, you cover them, you're just a basketball fan, only watch the home games. I, <laughs> I, think, I think that your life would be a lot better if you didn't watch the road games because like, even if they pull out a victory, it is such bad basketball in general. So just watch the home games and you'll save yourself uh, two hours of, of your night for each road game. So let me ask you this then. What are we going to do come the playoffs when they're a, a bottom seed in the East and the majority of the games are not at home? Uh, this probably sounds unreasonable, but I genuinely think they could go the whole playoffs without losing a single ho- home game. I don't think that is completely out of the question. So if that's the case, then you just have to steal one on the road i guess i think that has to be the plan but i mean are we not watching road playoff games oh oh yeah yeah um no don't watch them okay i i agree if you i mean you know if you're gonna commit to something like that you got to go all in right check the score at check the score like an hour and a half after each game starts and if it's close you can throw it on at the end Yeah, like halfway through the third quarter, that's when a lot of the collapse happens. So if halfway through the third quarter it's a game, then maybe you flip it on and and hang in. But but understand the risk that is associated with that still. For sure. Don't watch a single road game for the first half. So outside of Korkmaz, even though I do kind of want to come back to him and talk about it more, was, was there anything else really in this Memphis game that stood out to you? Because weirdly enough for me, when I was taking a glance at the box score and everything after waiting for us to get this pod set up, I was looking and my first thought was, wow, like Tobias Harris had a really good game too, where all day, as usual, I just kind of kept seeing people slandering him. You know, there is a lot of Al Horford slander going around, which is, in my opinion, much more justifiable than Tobias Harris slander. I think outside of the... Miami game, I don't think that Harris has been really that bad for a while. We know months ago he was slumping, but I feel like he's really turned it around. The Heat game was a bad one, but tonight he goes 3 of 4 from 3, which feels good because that's something people harp on is the three-point shooting percentage. He scores 21, and it felt like he scored them fairly like easily. Like It didn't seem like a game where he was forcing anything. It didn't seem like a game where we were waiting for him to get going. Like It, it was a not like a, a loud 21, but it was, it was a noticeable and, and a helpful 21 in, in, a, in, a, in a winning effort. Yeah, my only thing with Tobias Harris, my, my only real criticism for the most part is he is either extremely selfish or has no court vision whatsoever because the amount of times that he just misses wide open guys is kind of crazy for someone who handles the ball so much in the NBA. 
I like that just kind of I it, mean he had five assists. I know what you're saying and I know that doesn't like, necessarily mean anything but yeah in in general like the past few games that that's my only big thing with him. There's that one play against the Bucks where he shot it on like four guys and everyone else was open and it's just like how do how do you how do you miss these guys? Like but- so my thought to that, and I don't know if this seems fair enough, but one, I mean, isn't that kind of his role? Like he really is out of the starting lineup sands when you actually are just dumping it to Embiid and letting him go. Like he is really the creator, especially with Josh. Obviously they had Josh back tonight, but he comes off the bench. He's working his way back in. I think it's a little different when it's the actual starting five that we're used to. And it may be different when you get guys like Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson, the third acclimated. But right now, you know, if he's out in a, in a lineup with Al Horford, who has been shooting poorly, Shake Milton, who has played pretty well, but is still Shake Milton, and Ben Simmons, who won't shoot, I think it's a little bit natural to not be giving up the ball and understanding that you know you are the guy responsible for creating something. And it's not always going to be the best look or the most efficient look, but unfortunately, that's kind of where he's at. And that is kind of why you paid him a max contract, whether you you know, think he deserves it or not. Yeah, I, I don't I don't disagree with you. I think he has to be the kind of guy to go get them a bucket when they need it. And he's for the most part overall this season, he's felt fairly automatic from mid range, especially. But there there's just times where he he does miss extremely wide open guys sure. that it's almost impressive that how he didn't pass it to them. I mean, in reality, he is a power forward. He's never been known as a playmaker or a passer. So I think for all accounts, to to expect much more from him might might be a little bit unfair. But I don't disagree that watching the games, there are times where, you know, he, he is missing what would probably be a pretty quality opportunity for the team. But it's just not really his role to to see that. And again, you know, t- tonight obviously being a game where everybody kind of padded some stats, you know, five assists for him is above his season average. I think he's just shy of four, which is a career high. So again, like his distribution and his facilitation, it somewhat comes from usage. But I think there there has been small developments in his game. Uh, he is a guy that is is frequently discussed as somebody who has improved every season of his career. Now, how much he's improved, you know, you can debate, but I think we've seen the defense come a very long way this season. And I think the playmaking, albeit not very much, is better than it has been for most of the rest of his career still. Yeah, I, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I, I think that overall he's been pretty good. Uh, maybe at the start of the year when he had that stretch where he couldn't hit a three, that that was pretty frustrating. But overall, he has been pretty good. That was just something that, especially over the last few games, he's had a couple couple times. Sure. And, and those things are, you know, uh, put under the microscope when you're playing that bad. Like, you, you know, you scrutinize these things more and more when you're not getting the overall results. I, I think if maybe they sneak out of Milwaukee with that win, since they kept that one kind of close, maybe all these opinions are a little bit different. The same way we're kind of living in the moment now of just after one game, they finally get back on track winning against the Grizzlies. Going back to the Heat game, because I did just kind of want to go through these. So a huge loss, losing by 31 on the road. I think everybody, being that they were in Miami for the Super Bowl, and it was the next night, a ton of people were chalking that up as a pretty easy loss. I still don't think anyone projected 31. But if I'm being honest, like I, I bet the Heat less the points uh, as soon as I realized that the 
the Sixers were at the Super Bowl because it's very obvious that they weren't going to have a chance in that game. I mean, Jimmy Jimmy Butler was also at the Super Bowl, so yeah. But Jimmy Butler is, is a guy that I'm not worried so much about. Some of the Sixers young players seem to have this issue where we see them out and about and we see them at other things and, and it translates to the court. I don't know that to ever have been a conversation regarding Jimmy Butler. I mean, he was probably at the arena at 4 a.m. Monday still, so he was ready for the game, I'm sure. Which is corny. Yeah, I know. I agree. Here, but, I, have a, I have a quick story about the Heat game that I want to just touch on about sure. what my experience for the Miami Heat Sixers game was. Uh, so I was watching in my room. I had I had class all day. I was pretty tired. And in the middle of the second quarter, it was about five-point game. I fell asleep. And when I woke up, it was a 33-point game. <laughs> I, I, it was like in the middle of the third quarter, 33-point game. I couldn't believe it. I was so disoriented. I don't know how the game got. To, I watched it all the way to the end. But I don't know what happened in the middle. But but there's like an there was like a maybe ten minute stretch where they just went down like thirty points. It was impressive. Yeah, well, I can tell you what happened because the the takeaways I had for this we were talking about Tobias Harris and I I think this might have been he had the one game where I think he might have shot worse than this, but I still felt like just his body language and the way he was performing I still felt like that and because he also was doing nothing on the defensive end nobody on the Sixers did anything on the defensive end which was a problem as well but Tobias Harris 3 of 12 and 0 for 6 from 3 he had 6 points like that is those are the times where I understand the slander but again I think they were kind of doomed from the start to this game Ben Simmons was a minus 31 in the box score he only had 7 field goal attempts Another thing that's been harped on a lot with Ben, albeit not so much in the month of January where he really took over, was just you know being more involved in the offense as far as getting shots up. I think seven field goal attempts in a game like that played at the pace that it was is completely unacceptable. But we had talked on the last podcast because we were talking about the, the first couple games that Embiid had come back that everybody got really, really upset after the Celtics game and Embiid's poor shooting performance and they were blaming it on his hand and me and Steve had both mentioned that you know he shot pretty well in the Atlanta and Golden State game so I don't didn't think that that was the case and my point the whole time was that especially with the hand injury because this is different than my opinion on the Josh Richardson hamstring because of the nature of these two injuries that Embiid really couldn't damage the hand anymore so if he was ready to play I thought it was good for him to work his way back in and the Heat game was just another example. Obviously, a poor performance for the team, but he's 9 of 14 from the field, 9 of 11 from the line. He has 29 points. The offensive issues with him are not the hand, and he hasn't been blaming it either. He even said, I believe it was today, he was he was asked about the struggles lately, and he said that it really doesn't impact his shooting. The thing it impacts the most is his rebounding. So we were mentioning just that people you know get caught up in the narrative of the game you have this bad loss against boston which the game's always amplified and now people are questioning the hand but they weren't saying anything you know the two games before that where he shot just fine and the heat game again a game full of concern he still shot very well so i don't think that the hand is really something i'm concerned with i think that maybe they could have given him more time based on the time between the surgery and when he came back but 
I'm not a medical expert. I assume they went through the tests. I assume there were you know, x-rays or MRIs done. And at this point, other than some off games, which I think could be for any number of reasons, it doesn't appear that it's really impacted his play. And even getting to tonight's game, he he left. He didn't come back. Something with his neck, they said. I think it was almost one of those ones where they just knew they had this one in hand and didn't need him to come back, if you, if you ask me. But three of six, so shooting 50% from the field and hit is only three. So I think he's getting back in rhythm. The whole body language and off-the-court stuff is a whole other story about not having fun, and, and we can talk about that. But I just... I think the discussions this week about him coming back too soon from the hand are a little bit out of proportion and were a little bit of a, a weird reaction to just how bad the Celtics and, and Heat game were, even though the Celtics game is the only one so far that I would say until the Milwaukee game that he really seemed to struggle shooting. And the Milwaukee game was, again, just kind of a tough night for a lot of the guys out there, even though the team shot 42% from three, which is kind of what bothered me transitioning into the Bucks game is they shot 42% from three, which is better than average for them. They only had 11 turnovers and they lose by 11 where Milwaukee shoots 32% from three and had 14 turnovers. That's more than the Sixers. You see numbers like that and you kind of expect that the game's not a double digit loss. Maybe it's even a win. And it, it's hard to figure out exactly what went wrong in that? What were your takeaways from the Milwaukee loss? The Milwaukee loss. Um, they looked awful. Like, I don't know if there's any, like, I don't know if there's much more to it. They just looked super bad other than Horford shooting threes. That was the only thing that felt exceptionally good to me. Uh, I think overall, especially in the beginning, I think they did an all right job on Giannis uh, early on when Embiid was on him. Uh, in the first half, he didn't do too much. He airballed some threes, and then he made one dumb mid-ranger, and Reggie Miller was talking all about keeping the defense honest, and it's like, man, he just airballed two threes. Like, they're not going to play any closer on him. They're letting- My quick story about that game is just I was so happy following on social media that I could I couldn't hear the broadcast. I, I don't have much of an issue with the broadcast. I really like um, Kevin Harlan. I think he does a good yeah. job in the games. It was just it was it's not even just a Reggie Miller alone problem. There's just this kind of old head type of mentality where they all want guys like Giannis and Ben to shoot outside shots, but if you're going to airball that many threes, they're not going to play up on you. It's just not going to happen. It just doesn't make sense. And they, what, what was Giannis one for seven from three in that game? Yeah, something like that. And he was puffing out his chest on the only one he hit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just. Uh, and another thing about Giannis, I know you asked for my takeaways, probably more from a Sixers perspective. No, that's fine. Go off. But Giannis, like you hear all this stuff about James Harden and how he just runs into people and gets calls and he cheats the game and the refs do nothing but bail him out. But Giannis is so big and just wants every call and complains so much if he doesn't get these calls that it yep. is almost not fun to watch at all. I couldn't I, agree all, with you more. All I see is everywhere is how fun Giannis is to watch. But he just barrels into people and freaks out if he doesn't get the calls. I don't think that's good basketball at all. 
I agree. I mean, it's clearly regular season winning basketball because it's working for them and he gets the calls. But I, I agree with your sentiment. It's it's not fun to watch. I'm not impressed by it. And I mean, yeah, if we're talking about him and Harden, uh, we were texting about this last night to to be clear. You know, I said at least Harden's six six. Like when he's going into the paint and and getting contact, it's it's believable that it's impacting him a little bit more. He's not the world's biggest guy. There's nobody in the league really that should really be impacting Giannis that much. And if there's anybody, I mean, two of them are on the Sixers with Embiid and Horford. But I, I thought, that, oh god. Um, all I wanted to say was I, I know that game was very bad for the Sixers. They flat out they sucked to be frank about it. But I still think that Embiid is the best person in the league to defend Giannis. I, I think that he does a good job at defending him in the paint and does an all right job not fouling too much. I know he got into foul trouble, but in general, from what we've seen, I think he does a good job in the paint on Giannis. And you saw it with Siakam, and you see it with Giannis. When Embiid guards someone like that and he just stays in the paint, it seems to get in their heads when they shoot, and they do not shoot three-pointers well even when they're open. And I, I, I don't know if that's if it's like confirmation bias, just me seeing them shoot poorly, and I'm, I, I think that's the reason. But it does seem to me like when Embiid is guarding them and he backs off and lets them shoot, it it gets in their head and they they don't really shoot well when he's on them. No, I agree with that. I, we saw last year in the Toronto series that I, I wouldn't even say it was that Siakam didn't shoot well. I think the, the way they disrespected him because he hadn't seen that before, he seemed like he was too scared to even take the shot. There, yeah. there were so yeah. many times where he just wasn't shooting it and it messed with his head. And like, I was loving that. I thought it was great. And I thought that was a big part of why that series was even as close as it was with Giannis. He seems to at least kind of be getting over the mental hurdle. The thing is he just can't shoot. Yeah. Uh, His shot is weird and disconnected and, and not pretty. It's almost like a, like a push. It's, it's very bad. Yeah. He hit, they, they kept talking about, I think it was sometime in the second half, probably the, the third quarter, maybe late fourth that he had Horford about 16 feet out and Horford kind of backed off him and he hit a mid-range over him and, and again, puffing out his chest because he actually hit a shot. And you just watch the way the ball is going. There is no spin. It's just dead in the air and it just happened to go in that time. Like that is not, that's not going in that often. Like credit to him. He makes the shot there. Like it's two points, whatever. It doesn't have to be pretty, but the fact of the matter is that the the shot mechanics are just not there and it's, it's not going to be consistent enough to, to get them all the way. I think not, not that, um, you know, Simmons has perfect form or anything like that, but I think Ben Simmons has a prettier shot than Giannis. (sighs) Maybe I, I, it looks better. Based on what I just said, I would agree that at least his doesn't look dead in the air. It seems like there's some kind of touch on it, but his mechanics are, are just as flawed. And the other problem is that at least Giannis can take his shot straight up where Ben has no idea how to shoot a shot that he isn't fading away. So that's yeah, that's the, true. the biggest problem for Ben is that he just can't actually take a straight up shot. He has to fade away. Yeah. Uh, and Giannis has at least figured that part out, but it, it's not really translating to really any more success yeah uh, I just don't think 
does does him shooting change anything? Because I really think no. that it doesn't. I don't think it changes how teams guard him. No, and and we've been pretty consistent on this too. I think I think you've been with me. I think me and my co-host Steve have all pretty much said this at, at one point or another in regards to Ben. Is like, yes, would I like him to take? My stance has always been taking the elbow jumper from the free throw line, but no, everyone's saying, oh, like we we'll, we don't care if he makes it. If Ben Simmons goes one of nine from the field in a game and he starts taking jumpers, no one's going to be okay with it. Everyone's going to be just as mad as they are that he's not shooting it. And anyone who says they aren't is full of shit. It it just it's not going to change how they guard him until he can come out and prove that he's actually good at shooting, which he clearly isn't, or else he'd be shooting. Yep, completely agree. But all those things about the Bucks game. The thing that bothered me the most, since I mentioned a bunch of statistics that I think if you only looked at the box score would lead you to believe that the Sixers won or that it was much closer. The biggest takeaway I had as far as why they lost was, and this seems to be happening a lot lately. I I think, well, it didn't happen in the Heat game because they shot so well, but I think the Heat have proven that they can do this too. I mean, this is a team that, at least at that time, had at least you know, multiple of these guys on the floor at once, if not all of them at some points. You have Embiid, Horford, Simmons, and Tobias Harris, all who are at least, what, 6'9", and you're out-rebounded by 10 by a team that, you know, they have Giannis and, you know, Brooke Lopez sometimes, but they also are running, like, Eric Bledsoe and Chris Middleton and and uh, Dante DiVincenzo and all these guys, and you're and you're getting dominated on the boards like that. That was the thing that I think was the biggest reason why they lost that game. And like I mentioned earlier with Embiid's hand, he said he has said that that's the biggest thing that's impacted by his injury is the rebounding. So maybe there's some degree to that being the issue. But I mean, you said that they just played bad. I mean, I kind of took away from this that, you know, they're shorthanded because of the fact that they had made the trades earlier, which we'll get to the trades. They're on the road, which we know they've been terrible on the road. They were already in a slump having lost to Boston. Uh, They had lost to Atlanta, Boston, and Miami. And they still hung with, again, the best team in the league, who we saw them dominate once. And this one, I wouldn't call it being dominated. They they kind of did hang in there based on all those circumstances. So it still leads me to believe the same thing I've been saying for weeks now that any any team in the East, a seven-game series, I like our chances. I, I think they can beat any team in the East in seven games. Yeah, I, I would agree. I, they could also lose to any team, and I want to be Absolutely. Yep. Even when they played pretty badly and were out rebounded and didn't shoot particularly well from two. They still hung in with who is supposedly the best team in the league, the bucks. Yep. While this stretch has been extremely frustrating, I I agree with you that the, even at their worst, they other than, you know, like the Miami game where they just got blown out. They have, they showed that, even when they're playing badly, they can stick in there with the best teams in the East. Yep, agreed. To run it back real quick to, to finish off with the Grizzlies game, we did kind of talk about it at the top, but it's it's just so important to bring up again how great Furkan Korkmaz was. Uh, you, you had mentioned something to me before that I, I, I wanted to bring up that I thought was interesting about 
you know, feeding him more late in the game. Can you go back? Can we go back to that? Yeah, for sure. Wait, what? What exactly? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. At the end of the game, at the end of the game, he's like six points away from getting 40. And right before the timeout where they took him out of the game, Ben and Josh are just like messing around. And they didn't give him the ball. There was, there was the one time where Richardson, and it happened with Simmons too. I think Simmons turned it over and then Richardson either got a bad shot off or they got a shot clock violation or something. Or I think he walked, something like that. It was something stupid. And Moss is like open. And it's like, why don't you just give him the ball and just set a bunch of screens and try to get him 40 points? It's ridiculous. Just Matisse missed him on one, too, that pissed me off. It was rotating around the arc, and Furkan was in the corner to Matisse. Yeah, and he, fake, he fake passed it to him, and it allowed <laughs> the defender to get even closer to Matisse. It was- yeah, and then he took the shot, and he missed it. And it's like, dude, Furkan's cooking right now. <laughs> what, what was your... When they were talking about, I mean, the Sixers were up, well, I think closer to 20 at this point. I believe this is the end of the third, around 40 seconds. And the broadcast, for some reason, in a game that's not close at that point, is saying, oh, the Sixers would have to hurry here for a two-for-one. When they're up by that much, who the fuck even cares about getting a two-for-one? And then Korkmaz dribbles it all the way up and fires from 35 feet clean. I I could not believe that he pulled it. I said, I saw him dribbling the ball, and... You could ask my my roommate about this as a joke. I just said, "Oh, pull it!" and he just actually pulled it and buried it. And I could not believe it. We were kind of going insane. It was hilarious. I could not believe that he actually just pulled it. And uh, another another point about Corkmaz is he made he made an and one three again, uh, and he made an and one three this game. He also made one on Giannis on Christmas. And does he just miss every foul shot on and one threes? Yes. Like, I think it's a, it's a lock. It's like JJ Reddick technicals. He, he was only one of three from the line tonight. And it made me like, I didn't actually look it up. And I know this is like, you know, this makes me sound lazy and whatever. But like, I wasn't prepared to talk about him this much until this game happened. That I'm pretty confident that he's like probably having a really bad free throw shooting percentage for the entire season. And it has to be the worst of his career because it seems like he's been terrible at the line. Who's the next person you know who will be buying or selling a home? Have them contact the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway for the most trusted process when it comes to real estate in New Jersey. Call today, 856-904-5636. That's 856-904-5636. And mention Process Potables for exclusive savings. All right, so we had some technical difficulties, but it's a good time to fit in. Hearing from our sponsor, the Andrew Boss team at Berkshire Hathaway, so kind of works out. We were talking about Furkan Korkmaz as, you know, would be on brand for us. We're talking about the end of the third quarter. The broadcast is weirdly mentioning how the Sixers can rush for a two-for-one, even though they're leading by a ton. And Furk dribbles the whole length of the court with, like, a ferocity we rarely see from him. And, Ty, you were saying you could tell he was going to pull up. No, I I didn't think he was going to pull up. I was just saying pull it almost as a joke. <laughs> like like kidding, just because he was so hot, just saying pull it, thinking no sensible man would actually pull this shot. But he went for it. He actually went for it, and he buried it. It was amazing. I couldn't believe it. 
So my thought was we have had a few games where Furcon has really heated up this season, which has been awesome. But I truly believe that this has to be the Furcon game, not just because it's a career high in points, but like the efficiency he shot with. And to be honest, without him in this game, like it could have easily been another loss and to lose to a team sitting, you know, in the middle to bottom of, of, of the West, you know, hovering around the eight seed in the West potentially I think would have been even more crushing and at home obviously you know coming coming off this losing streak I mean Furkan kind of saved the whole thing but in referring specifically to this shot I feel like in any game where he's gotten that hot he is the only guy on this team that will actually take like that heat check that most guys aren't really willing to do but he's one of the only real shooters on this team but i swear all season in these games where he's been this hot he never hits the heat check and he hit this one and it was so fucking awesome i was so happy i yeah like i said i could not believe that it actually went in because it wasn't only a heat check like it wasn't just a contested three he was like 35 feet out with a guy on him. He was running full speed. That's why they were guarding him from there. That's how much respect he had earned throughout this night, that they were picking him up right across half court. It was ridiculous. I can't believe he hit that. So awesome. And you had mentioned that he uh, he had a four-point play in this one, and we were talking about the, the poor free-throw shooting too. But again... He had a four-point play because he has never converted any of those fast right points. so you know it, it's it's awesome that we can be in a good mood after a game like that that said they still are in a bit of dire straits they're still sitting in the sixth seed in the east uh we're i'm watching now so toronto just beat indiana thankfully i think they were only about a, a game and a half in front of us if i remember correctly so right now that should be more like half a game so potentially trying to climb up the ladder a little bit in an attempt to move up the Eastern standings where hopefully we can at least get maybe home court for the first round beings that we're now, what are we, 23 and two at home, I believe. Yeah, something like that. Is the acquisition of both Alec Burks and Glenn Robinson III from Golden State. So at this point, you've probably heard about it. But if not, the Sixers made the deal to acquire both those players from the Golden State Warriors and only had to give up three second rounders, but they're not projected to be very early second rounders it's dallas 2020 which is this year and dallas looks like they're going to be a playoff team in the west denver 2021 denver's set for a few years it looks like and toronto 2022 toronto could go either way but my inclination is that they're going to remain at the very least you know a bottom of the east playoff team that's like their worst case scenario to me so none of those picks probably expected to be anywhere they're probably like a 45 to 60 type range. So I'm fine with that. They still have their most valuable picks, uh, which are the, they have the, uh, the one of the Knicks, I think a Knicks and an Atlanta second rounder this year uh, that they could still use around the draft uh, or actually, you know, use the draft pick and hopefully not sell for Josh Harris to get his fourth helicopter. Alec Burks is kind of like a combo guard. He's listed as a shooting guard, but I think he could, do some minor backup point guard type stuff if they decide that come to playoffs. Maybe Howell Neto isn't really part of the rotation, although he does remain with the team for now. But Burks this season averaged just over 16 points a game with the Warriors in uh, about 29 minutes a game. He's shooting over 37% from three. 
And as far as, you know, a guy who, you know, the Warriors are kind of feeling stuff out, getting a lot, like they don't really have a, a set lineup. And obviously they've been a really bad team. People have been worried about his numbers being a bit inflated, but I actually think that he can do a lot of those same things. I, I think he should definitely be a guy getting 20 to 25 here. So getting 29 in Golden State, it's not like he was playing you know, 35, 40 minutes, and that's what it, it took him to get to 16. And he should get better looks playing here with better talent than he was in Golden State being probably like the second or third best offensive player on that team, depending on you know what D'Angelo Russell's availability even was prior to him being sent to Minnesota. Uh, Ty, before we move on to Glenn Robinson, you know, what are your thoughts on Alec Burks? If, if you have any, I don't know how much Warriors basketball you really watch or how much you saw of him in, in places before like Utah. Yeah, I've seen him uh, not as much this year, but a little bit before with the Jazz. Um, I, I think that just the idea of having, like you said, that kind of combo guard who can handle the ball a little bit and play some backup point and maybe even play with Ben a little bit as the as the ball handler, kind of like uh, what they've been doing with Josh Richardson at points. I think that he's somebody that could help the team um, a pretty good amount. So I like the deal, especially because they didn't give up anything n- too notable to get both of these guys. Yeah, I, I agree. And I'm actually surprised. I was surprised in looking at Glenn Robinson's stats because – we remember him as a process sixer, as as many sixer fans will. But I I didn't know that he was actually this efficient in his time with Golden State, or that he he had even come this far in his career. Because I paid much more attention to Alec Burks the last you know four to six weeks, based on Marty Teller never shutting up about wanting him, and thankfully we got him so that Marty doesn't jump off the Walt Whitman or anything. But Glenn Robinson is a surprisingly efficient player. He uh, is very good as far as oh man, my numbers got cut off here. That's a bummer. But um, you know, this season he's shooting forty percent from three. Uh, he's a career th- uh, over thirty-seven percent shooter. So the three-point shot has been there. Uh, he's only averaging about thirteen a game with Golden State. But again, I actually think that contrary to some people who think that these guys were kind of padding stats or might have inflated numbers playing on a bad team that again, you put them in a lineup with talent where they can actually get looks like we've had so many games this season where a lot of times our conversations after some of these losses haven't been the fact that it's necessarily the offense running poorly. It's they're getting looks, but guys just aren't knocking them down. You're hoping that Robinson and Burks can both be guys that just come in and knock them down. The question is, are we going to see further proof that for some reason coming to Philly just screws every single player that we think might actually be good? Or can these guys come in and actually kind of break that stigma? Yeah, that's a good question. And obviously we did not see that tonight. Uh, I think what they'll be ready for Sunday. Yeah, it, it says, I think it's still to be determined. And that, and that's the other thing, all, all these weird things that always happen to Sixers players, Robert Covington was able to get to Houston in like five minutes, but these guys who were, mind you, in Brooklyn on, I believe, Wednesday night. Well, do you remember last year um, when they traded for Butler and it took them like five days to play and they played that one game extremely shorthanded? 
Yeah, I, think- I also kind of think Jimmy Butler was just like a drama queen as well, and that didn't surprise me at all. But these guys aren't stars. These guys are guys that are going to be on our bench, for Christ's sake. Like, get over here and start playing. Like, I understood they weren't going to play in Milwaukee, but there's, I have no idea why they couldn't play tonight at home in Philly, considering that they were in Brooklyn Wednesday night, and they were pulled out of that game knowing they were going to be dealt. Yeah. No, I agree. It just, And I'm not necessarily blaming them. I feel like this has to be more of a Sixers thing because nothing seems to just be easy with this team. Yeah. Like you said, Covington went out and he played in L.A. in a game that was a really big win for the Rockets. I just wanted to add in that I am super in on the small ball Rockets. Centers are overrated. You can see it with the Sixers. They got a million of them, and they're mediocre right now. Uh, I've also, funny you mentioned that, I've heard rumors that until today when it actually ended up being confirmed that he hadn't been released, at least yet, that a lot of uh, Houston people seem to think that Kyle Quinn would be a really good fit there if he ends up hitting the buyout market if we don't keep him, which I kind of don't think the Sixers will. Well, I saw an Inquirer article today that Kylo Quinn wanted them to cut him and the Sixers said no. Oh. So I don't, know. I don't know what the deal is there. Hmm. Uh, the reason that a big reason he probably wants to be cut is the fact that the Sixers waived Jonah Bolden so that they could convert my guy Norvell Pell to an NBA contract. I could not be happier for Norvell. This obviously comes from you know personal ties as well from covering him. Ty, you've been down covering the Blue Coats before too, and have had interactions there. So you know there is a, a close connection to that, but still. I feel like just objectively in his short stints here with the team that he has absolutely proven that he can be a, a backup NBA center. Is he going to be the best backup NBA center? No, but in, in small doses, he can provide a lot of energy. He can be a rim protector. I mean, his per 36 is actually kind of crazy because obviously he can't play that much uh, because he'll foul out at the NBA level. Uh, his per 36, he actually averages over seven fouls. So he would not, he wouldn't make it that far, but he also averages just shy of five blocks per 36 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I just respect how he will go for any and every block and he's willing to accept being dunked on sometimes because he's going to go after all of them. It's awesome. But I think he does go after all of them, but he's like, so so does Jonah, so did Jonah Bolden, but Jonah Bolden never got any of them. So like I think there's a difference between going after all of them. Like I, I think Pell will go for the majority of them, but I think that all of them is a bit much because like the guys who go for all of them are the ones that like literally can't play for five minutes. And I think Pell at least has enough to stay in the game for a little bit. But he like I think I think maybe like I don't know if your point is more so that like he 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 won't ever shy away from it. Like he's gonna go to war. Yeah, that's what I mean. He it's like okay. he knows what he's good at, so he's gonna. Yeah, I'm yeah, not, yeah. I'm not saying he only gets a lot of blocks because he goes for all of them. I'm saying he knows what he's good at, so he's gonna. Oh, okay. Keep doing that one thing. I'm not. That's definitely not a knock. I. Oh, okay. No, it's got, sorry, because yeah, because that's one of that was one of the biggest criticisms of Jonah Bolden was just like he he literally bites on everything, and that's why he has so many fouls. It's not in a way of biting on everything. It's that he knows he can uh, affect every single shot that goes up, and he's going to try to do it because he knows that's what he's good at, which is a good thing. Absolutely. So Jonah Bolton waved goodbye, good riddance. Uh, 
I always so I never really have dealt with Jonah even even in the times he's been down with Delaware this year. A lot of times when you know a Sixers player is down there, we don't really have a lot of access to them, and we're not really even supposed to like really ask or talk about it all that much, which is is kind of a weird line we have to walk, but it is what it is. But I thought that it was always interesting because you know we're we're both formerly of the painted lines and we worked a lot and, and communicated a lot with Jason Blevins who covers the Sixers and also covers the blue coats. And, and he's had a lot of interactions with Jonah in his time here from, from Jason's time covering the team. And whenever we would talk about him, he would mention that, you know, it, it just seemed like there was some kind of like attitude or, or kind of mental issue with Jonah regarding just receiving like critiques or criticism or feedback from coaching and, uh, this seems to be a, a sign from the team that while, you know, he was a very like raw athlete and like a raw talent, like we've like, he could definitely shoot. He's, he's bouncy. He can block shots. He just bites too much. He can rebound. He can push the ball. Like he could do so many things, but it just never really translated. And he was one of those guys that would light up the G league, but then couldn't do a thing in an NBA game. Uh, I, I hope that he finds like a program overseas to just round out his game and maybe kind of humble him a little bit and maybe he can come back and still make something out of himself. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe uh, another team even picks him up and throws him on their bench or their G league team, because like you said, there are some raw skills there. So I don't think he's, I, I don't know if we'll see, or I don't know if this is the last we'll see of Jonah Bolden. In yeah, Florida. probably not. Trey Burke also waived. I, I was so excited for him over the summer. It, it clearly didn't seem like Brett Brown was all that fond of him. And I will say that uh, me and Marty Teller often said that they basically need Alec Burks, but they or they need Trey Burke, but they need a better version. And I think Alec Burke uh, Burks is ironically because we're going to mix the names up so much. At least I am is also just kind of a better version of him. So I think they filled that need. So it makes sense that he's not here. I don't think it necessarily means that how Neto really won the silent competition that they like to often talk about between Sixers bench players. But I think it is just an indication that Alec Burks is just the upgraded Trey Burke. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I, uh, I remember a week or a week or so ago, I texted uh, Sixers Adam about this. And I said something like at the deadline, they need to, add Trey Burke but good I think that was how I described it (laughs) I think I'm kind of on board with you there that's what they they just needed a good version of Trey Burke which is kind of what they got yeah which which then made him expendable right exactly uh James Ennis which is weird because he had a no trade clause and seemed like they they really did like him up until I guess about a month ago when he had that he had that do not play against Indiana on a Monday, and then he had that like string of games where he just wasn't really getting minutes. He's traded to Orlando for a second round pick. Uh, this one, I, I'm not sure that I completely understand, but at the same time, and maybe I'm a little bit biased, I I don't really think that I would play him over Thibel or Korkmaz. So I guess there just really isn't any room for him, and maybe you're just gonna give him a maybe he wanted to go somewhere where he could just definitely get minutes, and Orlando you know, not a title contender, but they are probably pretty locked into the seventh seed. So at least, you know, he might get a chance to actually play in the playoffs. 
I, I have things to say about this one. Okay. And I think that if you have a player who has shown that he's capable of playing solid minutes in the playoffs and against, you know, in the Toronto series, especially, he was good. Like he was good for them. And I think that you saw it with the Rockets when they gave away James Ennis and it ended up hurting the Rockets and it helped the Sixers a lot. You don't just give away players like that that can actually play in the playoffs. I think that this was a bad move and maybe they don't regret it. But if Glenn Robinson is ineffective, if Korkmaz is getting torched on defense or something, I could see a scenario where they regret trading away James Ennis. And I just think that it's a little short-sighted and kind of uh, kind of irresponsible to trade James Ennis away after he showed you what he could do last season. Well, I agree. That That's why I, I, maybe I, I didn't really make this clear or, or it wasn't uh... – it wasn't implied enough, but I mean, he has the full no trade clause. So this makes like, I think that he wanted this. I almost think that this was a service to him that I don't think they would have had a problem necessarily keeping him around. But I think it was almost like a, Hey James, like you're not really going to play. And you know, Orlando's calling about you and you know, would you want to go there? You'll, you'll get to play more. You'll, you'll be playing in the playoffs. Whereas here you, you might end up sitting at the end of the bench, not doing anything like, I know that that doesn't really change the fact that maybe they could still use him. So your point still stands, but I don't think that they were necessarily like kicking down teams doors to get him out of here. I think that this might've just been kind of a little bit of a respect move, whether you think that's right or not, you know, whatever. And I'm just speculating all of that, but uh, I do kind of get it from both sides. And you did well, trade away three second round picks to bring the other two here. So while we don't know if they'll use them or sell them or whatever, you know, getting one, getting just one back doesn't seem like the worst idea after that either. It can it can be a service to him or whatever, but at the same time, like I said, I I found that Inquirer article today where Kyle O'Quinn, who's not going to play, asked for a release or a trade or something, and they said they said no to him. And True. then they have a player in James Ennis who's actually useful. And like I said, you could see a scenario where he they would need him. Because if Korkmaz, depending on the series, who they're facing, you could see, uh, like, obviously we're Korkmaz guys and the shooting's going to be there. But you could definitely see a situation where he couldn't keep up with whoever he's supposed to be guarding. He's physically outmatched and he's clearly the worst defender on the floor. There, there may be a time in the playoffs where they could have used James Ennis. And just like the Rockets did last year, like I said, the Rockets, it was a little bit different. The Rockets didn't want to go over the luxury tax last season, I believe. So that's why they ended up trading away James Ennis. But it's it just, you know, giving up legitimate rotation type of players can end up hurting you. Sure, I get it. I, I just think, I think you're maybe like, I don't think Kylo Quinn's really going to be a part of this, but at the same time, if one of Embiid or Horford actually went down, you do still need him because then Pell's the only other center. And again, I don't know how many minutes they think they can even get out of him, and especially if they would trust him in the playoffs. So it might just be an insurance keep. Whereas Ennis, even if you think that maybe he should play over one of these guys, potentially they like guys that can fill in either at the two or the three range all the way from Shake, Ben Simmons, Richardson, Burks, Glenn Robinson, Zaire, Tobias, Matisse, Korkmaz, like all those guys could potentially play 
at least one of the two or the three. Like I think I just named eight or nine guys. So you yeah, do that- have more depth across those spots than you do at center, even though it seems crazy to have four potential centers because of the fact that Horford's 33 and Bede has his health issues here and there. And Pell is very, very raw that maybe they just think that there's some value in having Kylo Quinn just in case. Yeah, that's true. Um, me and Ben Dunst were talking about uh, something today. Maybe they felt the need to trade Ennis because of the experience they had with Jonathan Simmons last year. You know, they had Ben Simmons and Jonathan Simmons. He didn't work. So that once they got Glenn Robinson the third, they had to get rid of James Ennis the third. As soon as they got Burks, they had to get rid of Burke. Couldn't yeah. have, they couldn't double up on names. Yeah, that, there's a... So many weird things happen here. I wouldn't put it out of the realm of po- nothing is out of the realm of possibility anymore. Yeah, that's good. the the only other roster thing I wanted to talk about was we got to see Mario Shayok, which a lot of people have been clamoring for. I've seen a ton of him down in Delaware this year. I was initially trying to calm those talks, but as I saw more and more of him, and I saw the Sixers shooting struggles, I became more and more of the belief that he could come up and contribute. Played nominal minutes in Milwaukee. He did hit a three, which is nice, but you know we didn't see a ton of him. I was happy to see him. I know people that were clamoring for him probably were hoping that maybe that was like the start of using him. And I basically just wanted to say that I truly believe that he only played in that game because of the trade and the fact that they were so shorthanded. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the only time you see him. Yeah, or blowout. Yeah, but that he would have to be with the team is my point. Like, I'd rather him be still be in Delaware playing and staying with them, like, like then coming back and forth, sitting at the end of the bench for you know a, a potential two minute end of game garbage time role. You know, like I'd rather him play thirty minutes in Delaware for this whole year. Does the G League season end before the NBA? Yes, yes, that that happens. So yeah, there. Be there for the end, I guess. And that's good because, like we learned with Pell, because I didn't even know this till the season. You know, they only have the forty-five days, so you figure if you if you haven't finished out the G League season, then you ha- you don't have to worry about his days running out before the end of the regular season too. Because yeah. at this point, if he spent the rest of the year here, I I believe there would be more than forty-five days. So, mm-hmm. um, another thing, yeah, like you said with Shayok, uh, the shot's good. He's not fast at all. No. Very slow. Yeah, that's that's one of the things that that we've asked a lot about down there, speaking to uh to Connor Johnson, the coach of the Blue Coats, is basically like, you know, he can he can do what he wants against the G League competition, but one of his things is that, you know, it takes him a lot to get into a shot. He's a guy that needs multiple dribbles. He he's still working on the catch and shoot part. He he's not the, the most athletic or the absolute fastest and you know, that's what I've been saying is at the NBA level, like all those things are going to be exposed significantly because the just the level of athleticism, not even getting into the level of talent or anything else or basketball IQ, just the general athleticism is so crazy different when you go from the G League to the NBA that like in the G League, he's probably like, you know, top 20 percent of athletes maybe in there. And in the NBA, he's got to be bottom 20 if not worse, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. So he's really just going to have to work on the, the catch and shoot and the pull up, but the shots always look good to me, and, and, he, and he proved that hitting the one. I think it was good for him just to just to get the feel, just to get the idea like, hey, like, you know, they, they see the chance in you to be here, keep working, 
things like that. I think that's good for a player in, in that role, and especially one like at his age, because the same way we talk about Norvell, you know, he's 26 and he's just getting a contract. You know, Norvell is also maybe a great example for Shayak to look at and say, hey, like if you really put in the work and, and get to a point where you're valuable that, you know, teams and, and especially even the Sixers have just proved it, that they will give you the opportunity to kind of reward you for that, which for all the flaws of, of this front office and ownership and a lot, I think it is, is a really cool thing to see like that. They gave Norvell the contract and that maybe that sets a good example for some of the more mature guys that they work with in the G league and whatnot. Yeah. Agreed. Thing with uh Shayok too. You and I will, will always put our, our faith in a good shooting stroke. We did it with Cork Maz and it yep. worked out. Yep. Absolutely. You, you got to trust the shot sometimes and, and realize that, you know, th- like that's a common thing is, when people are scouting anybody in college and whatnot, like they, they break down so many things and they get so caught up sometimes in athleticism and they get so caught up in what guys do in transition. And then some of those guys that can just shoot, but don't do a lot else. They, they fall down boards because they think that they are at best like one dimensional guys. And, you know, at the end of the day, the NBA is about shooting, man. You got to be able to shoot, uh, you know, outside of very, very select freak athlete and exceptional talents. And even them, uh, people complain that they need to shoot. So sometimes it's just as easy as a guy can shoot. And we trusted Cork Maz and we were right, which feels great. And I, I, I don't think Shayok's shot looks as good as Cork Maz, obviously, but I, I think it's already one of the better ones as far as everybody on, on the Sixers roster at this point. Maybe that's changed now with the acquisition of, of Burks and Glenn Robinson, but. So uh, I I don't have anything else. I don't know if you had anything you wanted to mention. Nope, we got the we got the court game. Yeah, the court game. I mean, I th- I think we'll get at least two more. I feel pretty confident in that. I think we we'll can get, get two more. Bomb. We'll get a forty bomb. Oh, okay. I'm here for it. Maybe not this year, but we'll get one. <laughs> well, yeah that that was the thing too. Is people a couple people were I don't know if they were just trying to mess with me or if they truly believed it, but they were, they were saying that. Uh, you know, he, he could actually be a, a valuable piece moved to the deadline. And I was saying, like, his contract next year is so valuable to the Sixers specifically that there's absolutely no way you deal him. Like, unless they were going for a player that was, like, well above anyone that was actually being rumored to come here. Like, there's no way he went goes in a, in a Derek. Like, the only player was Bogdanovich. Maybe uh, I'd have been okay if he got put in a package for Bogdanovich. But, like... Derek Rose, absolutely not. Alec Burks, absolutely not. Uh, I can't even remember anymore who else that we were really considering them maybe get. Like a Marcus Morris, absolutely not. Just because next year, like it's a non-guaranteed like $2 million contract. Yeah, he makes nothing and he they need his skill too much. Absolutely. And, and it appears that he's actually getting better. So uh, credit to that because... We complain so much that we don't think some of these guys actually work on anything or get better. Uh, he's the most obvious case of putting in work and, and getting significantly better at, at a few things because it's not just three-point shooting. He's got the floater. He's definitely less exposed on defense. He's by no means even average, I'd say, but he's not you know, Marco Bellinelli getting absolutely assassinated every time on the floor. So that that's the most you can ask for a guy in that role and, and, and from that position. So, For sure. Uh, all-star breaks coming up. Sixers only have two games left. They are home Sunday against Chicago. And then Tuesday, the only time that we see the LA Clippers in town is the last game before the all-star break. 
All-Star break next weekend. We know Embiid is scheduled to be a starter. See how his health is and everything. I suggested that I think the mature approach from him would be to not play. He'll play. He's going to play, obviously, but I kind of really wish he wouldn't. All right, well, unfortunately, we lost Ty. We had a little bit of uh, difficulty with his setup at school, but we're pretty much wrapping up the end of the episode there. So just wanted to mention that the All-Star break is coming up next weekend, that Embiid is scheduled to start the All-Star game. Ben Simmons is a reserve, and that's pretty much it as far as Sixers' participation at this point, barring any injuries or any changes that need to be made. On Saturday of All-Star Weekend, so it's February 15th, we will be doing a live podcast from Double Nickel Brewery, which is in Pensalkin, New Jersey, on Route 73. Probably be starting around 12.30, 1 p.m. or so. And uh, Sixers and Bluecoats beat reporter Jason Blevins of the Painted Lines, uh, who me and Ty did speak about on the episode, both of us coming from the Painted Lines, uh, we'll be there with us to catch us up. We're going to discuss the season up to that point, our thoughts going forward on you know rotations, about the playoff rotations, where we expect this team to finish up, how they stack up against everybody else, and you know anything else that comes of the next week or so. And also discuss the All Star Game weekend, you know what we see from the Rising Stars Friday night discuss our thoughts on who we think can win the three-point contest, the dunk contest, and the skills challenge on Saturday night, and much, much more interviews with people from Double Nickel, bring you all the info on the beer, trying some of the beers. Uh, I'm drinking one of theirs tonight, actually, just randomly celebrating the Furk on Korkmaz game, drinking a Failed Resolution, which is a hazy IPA double dry hopped with Wakatu don't know what that is but it's very good it's very kind of smooth a little creamy for an ipa it's not super bitter and and super just like um it's not it's not very hoppy for an ipa but uh, a lot of flavor a lot of very uh juicy kind of like a mango or pineapple a little bit of aftertaste on so very good i highly recommend it It comes in around seven percent abv so it's nice and smooth but still pretty strong only beer i'm gonna have tonight so uh, hopefully by the time I get this done, can go to bed and we're right back at it tomorrow. So thanks everybody for listening. If you're in the area, please come out to double nickel, say hi. We'll be hanging out. We'll be there for a while. So come hang out. You'll actually be able to hear the podcast. We'll be broadcasting it into the room. So if you have any questions or hell, you want to come on, hop on, you got a uh, hot take or whatever. I-, I will definitely entertain that idea. So come say hi, come hang out with us. Thanks everybody for listening. Make sure that you're subscribed. Drop a five-star rating, write a review. You can find our blog posts at processpotables.com. I wrote about the trade with Burks and Glenn Robinson. We also have our AC Beer Fest announcement, and we do have some writers coming into the fold that will be putting out articles, having Sixers and beer content for you over the next 20 weeks. We'll talk more about that as the articles start to flow. So, again, thanks, everybody, for the support, and trust the podcast. Trust the podcast.